Welcome to the Dizzy Discussions Podcast, the clinician's guide to vestibular rehab. Our goal is to spread knowledge and awareness of current and up-and-coming vestibular assessment, evaluation, and treatments for the vestibular veteran and novice alike. Without further ado, here's your hosts, Eddie Ernst and Dr. Stephen T. Marina. Today, uh, we are going to be discussing 3PD. So my goal for this week's clinical discussion is to discuss 3PD, talk a little bit about the clinical characteristics, maybe share some personal patient experiences, and give you a couple tidbits on some ways that you can start managing patients with persistent postural perceptual dizziness. So I got a couple notes prepared, and let's kind of go through 3PD feel free to post any comments or any questions, and I can try to answer those if you have any specific questions related to 3PD or any uh, patient cases. So uh, 3PD is, it's really a chronic functional neurological disorder associated with um, and characterized by uh, non-spinning vertigo and dizziness. Um, it's, it's really commonly, um, commonly occurs in patients that have some sort of vestibular insult, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. They can have an anxiety or panic attack disorder or even an autonomic disorder, or it can occur from trauma. It was previously described as chronic subjective dizziness, but over kind of the past 10 years through a lot of the work with the Brandy Society, they've been working on developing a clinical kind of characteristic profile or diagnostic criteria, and that's actually um, available through ICD-11. But it's a chronic form of persistent um, perceptual awareness of unsteadiness and balance with postural changes. So I'm going to kind of go through some of these notes that I have prepared and kind of share a little bit more information about 3PD. Um, Typically, with the onset of 3PD, there's some sort of trigger, like I mentioned before. That trigger can be anything from a very simple case of positional vertigo or a more severe attack of vestibular neuritis. It can be related to autonomic disorders like uh, POTS. Uh, maybe trauma such as a mild traumatic brain injury, um, cervicogenic dizziness. So you develop these chronic long-lasting dizzy symptoms that are increased with uh, movement of yourself or movement of the uh, area around you, and they they tend to persist. And they can uh, occur in in spite of true anatomical um, impairments or even functional impairments. So patients can have a fully normal vestibular exam, so they can have normal vestibular function testing, they can have um, no significant signs and symptoms on their ocular motor exam, but they still present with a sensation of dizziness, off balance, lightheadedness, feelings of instability, that have occurred as a result of an initial trigger or injury uh, to their vestibular system or their just normal balance system. So that's kind of what we wanna kind of talk a little bit about in terms of triggers. It's, it's really what's kind of interesting. It's in terms of diagnosing 3PD, it can be a little tricky because in the past we used to think, oh, well, this is a diagnosis of exclusion. We exclude everything else out and then we land on a diagnosis of 3PD. But 3PD is really not a diagnosis of exclusion. It's not a, a, a truth impairment that happens. It's really kind of a series of events that happens to patients 
where their neurological system um, or their brain starts maladapting to um, the initial trigger, and then these uh, hyper awareness, hyper awareness, or even hyper preservation on symptoms kind of develops, and then the patients feel a persistent um, sensation of balance or imbalance. Um, I have some stats for you. It seems that the potential for 3PD or chronic dizziness can occur in possibly one out of four patients in some studies, or even accounting for about 15 to 20% of dizzy cases in a tertiary care setting. So it can incorporate or encapsulate quite a few, quite a few patients. So if you're working in a high volume vestibular clinic, let's say with you know 100 patient, vestibular patients a year, 15 to 20 of those patients can present with symptoms um, consistent with 3PD. So in terms of the kind of the classification or the criteria for 3PD, I thought I'd kind of read out the Brainy Society diagnostic criteria for 3PD. And I think this might be kind of helpful for anyone working with chronic dizzy patients. And since this isn't a diagnosis of exclusion, you can have the classification and the criteria for 3PD in conjunction with other vestibular disorders. So you can have someone with a uncompensated vestibular hypofunction and then also present with the signs and symptoms of 3PD. So instead of thinking of 3PD as one isolated disorder, think of it kind of like a spectrum of symptoms or almost like a kind of a, a journey or a pipeline that the patient goes through. So the patient can have an initial attack of dizziness and then they start developing these um, these symptoms that are related to anxiety, um, hyper-awareness on symptoms, um, functional changes where they rely more on vision for their balance, and their whole system kind of becomes a little bit skewed in relation to integrating all of those normal balance inputs. So for the diagnostic criteria, um, A is one or more symptoms of dizziness, unsteadiness, or non-spinning vertigo on most days or at for at least three months. The symptoms need to last for hours, um, long periods of time, but they may wax and wane in severity. Symptoms need not to be present continuously throughout the entire day. Criteria B, persistent symptoms occur without specific provocation, but are exacerbated by three factors, upright posture, active or passive motion without regard to direction or position and exposure to moving visual stimuli or complex visual patterns. C, disorder is triggered by events that cause vertigo, unsteadiness, dizziness, or problems with balance, including acute, episodic, or chronic vestibular syndromes, other neurological or medical illnesses, or psychological distress. So subsection B, when triggered by an acute or episodic precipitant, symptoms settle into a pattern of criterion A, right? That's symptoms of dizziness and unsteadiness that resolves, but may occur intermittently at first and then consolidate into a persistent course. And then two C, when triggered by a chronic precipitant, symptoms may develop slowly at first and then worsen gradually. And then for D, symptoms may cause significant distress or functional impairment. And then E, symptoms are not better accounted by another disease or disorder. So when you're thinking about your 3PD diagnostic criteria, you're starting to see that's really a state of being for patients as opposed to just being a disorder or an impairment in and of itself. And it can develop from simple causes, complex causes, or even recurrent causes. 
in terms of some of the other notes that I have prepared for you all, symptoms when thinking about 3PD, I really like that diagnostic criteria. They can kind of wax and wane. So when you're seeing that patient in front of you with the chronic presentation of dizziness, they might have constant symptoms or they might have this presentation where they have symptoms that are somewhat intermittent, but always there. So they have like maybe a low level of dizziness or imbalance or disequilibrium. They say they feel it there all the time, but then depending on what they do, it spikes up and then it comes down, it spikes up and then it comes down. I really like the way um, one kind of research article kind of put it. It said that these symptoms might be kind of a typical feature of an attention modulated disorder, meaning that the patients have become hyper aware of their movement, of visual and vestibular stimuli. And I really love that word, an attention modulated disorder. Patients might even report that they feel less symptomatic when they're just doing something else, when they're distracted. So it's just that complex interaction of the hyper perception of their symptoms um, that cause these significant um, um, symptoms that can wax and wane. The other thing that I thought was kind of interesting in that diagnostic criteria is triggers. Triggers can really be anything for patients that develop 3PD. It can be simple things like BPPV, like I mentioned, vestibular frequent episodes of vestibular migraine, um, uh, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, uh, trauma, or even autonomic disorders. And I kind of think of that kind of like a feedback loop. So if you've ever um, worked with someone with chronic pain before or chronic dizziness, um, think about the feedback loop that happens. So say the patient gets dizzy when they go to the grocery store. Well, what they do is, well, they got dizzy going to the grocery store. So they decide, well, I'm not going to go to the grocery store so I don't get dizzy. Um, but then they don't get dizzy going to the grocery store, but now maybe they go for a short drive and then they get a little dizzy. So then they start saying, well, I'm not going to drive because that makes me dizzy. So now each time they don't do an activity, they do a little bit less, they don't feel dizzy, or each time they do an activity, they feel symptomatic, they pull back even more. So eventually they keep pulling back and pulling back and pulling back and become hyper aware of those symptoms to the point where it starts to become a disabling um disabling fear avoidance that's happening and it starts precipitating more and more symptoms for them. In terms of the patients, um, they sometimes give this account in their history, kind of like I mentioned before, of just avoiding provocative situations and kind of falling into that pattern. They develop this almost anticipatory anxiety that starts to promote more and more symptoms. So when you're thinking about that maybe attention modulated disorder, your interventions might be to help build patient confidence or kind of retrain them from that hyper awareness of their symptoms into focusing more on what they can accomplish or what they can function and do. One of the things I like to work on with my patients is if the patients have kind of a hyper awareness of their symptoms, I like to kind of start building activities into our therapy that are maybe less structurally focused on vestibular adaptation exercises and more focused on functional activities. And they're a little bit more salient to their life, like having them pick up um, cups and put them in a countertop or having them walk across the clinic, doing some sort of functional activity that they reported would cause them dizziness. And then as they do that activity and they don't become dizzy, it starts creating a new loop for them where they're able to accomplish an activity without promote, provoking symptoms. And they start building confidence to move as opposed to being hyper aware or anxious about causing symptoms. 
Um, one of the other things that can happen with 3PD, as we kind of mentioned that, that diagnostic criteria, is that they become very visually um, uh, visually dependent or even visually sensitive. So not just motion of themselves, but the room around them that can provoke symptoms. So um, some patients can feel dizzy because um, they're walking in a busy grocery store or they have uh, quick movements coming across their peripheral vision. They've started to utilize and maladaptively started to utilize their vision to give them a significant form of proprioceptive input. It helps them remain stable, helps them maintain their balance. And when that vision is distorted, the patient might feel a sensation of dizziness or disruption of their balance, which causes them to feel those, those symptoms and can really start ramping up their awareness of, of their balance and their sense of instability. Um, typically, um, I wrote down in my notes, 3PD typically does not um, occur with frequent falling. Um, most patients are able to maintain their balance if they have a diagnosis of 3PD. That's not one of the necessary diagnostic criteria. And if you are seeing a patient um, with 3PD um, and they are falling often, it could be associated with something else that's going on. So remember, 3PD is kind of the state of being that the patient is in. It's not necessarily the state of imbalance that they have or the instability that they have. So they could have a central disorder that's causing imbalance. Um, and falls, and then the 3PD is the kind of the state of being and the awareness and the hyper-preservation on those symptoms that causes them a baseline level of, of dizziness. Um, one of the other things that I thought would be kind of helpful to kind of talk about in relation to 3PD is kind of thinking about this little feedback loop. So when you're thinking about that feedback loop, I'll kind of finish up with this little summary. Think about that first, that dizzying trigger, that starts the event, that could be a vestibular crisis event, it could be something like a presyncope or a panic attack, and then they have some sort of maladaptive adaptation that could be they start using um, more postural driven strategies like tapping on a wall or making sure that they fixate on one object so that they don't have a sensation of dizziness. They might become dependent on other forms of proprioceptive input, like using a cane, and they might start using um, environmental strategies like um, I'm going to sit down or I'm going to use a wheelchair or a walker. Um, what happens is they lead into this next part, which is increased introspective self-monitoring, um, top-down distortion of afferent signals, uh, perception of dizziness and unsteadiness increases, and then they, again, fall into more high-risk postural control and strategies. Now, all of this information that I'm talking about in relation to this kind of that feedback loop is included in an article um, by what article is this that I haven't written down? Um, it is uh, by an article by um, Jeffrey Staub related to um, 3PD and um, Stoyan uh, Popkirov. And I posted this in our Facebook group. So if you're interested in that article, feel free to comment below and I can kind of hopefully get that um, link to you. Um, so step one is the dizzying trigger. Step two is that acute adaptation. Step three is that maladaptation loop that continues to continues to kind of revolve, and then the patients fall into that uh, perseveration on symptoms. Uh, secondary um, effects um, after that can lead to neck stiffness because they don't want to move, um, gait disorders because they're avoiding postural um, gait imbalance. They can uh, develop fear of falling, agoraphobia, fatigue, and even dissociation. 
um, then um, as they kind of move through that uh, maladaptation, um, we want to try to break the loop. So how do we break the loop? We need to help the patient potentially readapt back to normal. So like I mentioned before, what can we do to kind of help the patient break that feedback loop and develop normal postural control strategies, proper um, relation to their symptoms so they're not developing that anxiety, that fear, and that avoidance with movement, um, they might need vestibular therapy, which may focus more on habituation or graded movement exposure. It can include adaptation exercises or substitution exercises in the right cases to help the patient utilize their vestibular system and their ocular system in the correct way and not to rely solely on one system. Um, it might include cognitive behavioral therapy um, to help, again, the patient um, have the right attention and focus on their symptoms and the right outlook on their symptoms. And you might need to refer a patient out to some sort of correct clinical, um, clinical psychologist to help the patient with cognitive behavioral therapy, really thinking multi, um, multimodal for this patient. And in some cases, they might need medications like SSRIs or SNRIs. Um, and the research kind of suggests maybe a combination of all three or individually each can help. And so we want to make sure that we're getting our patients the right interventions. Some of these patients that have had a significant um, a course of 3PD might need some medications to help them, or they might need cognitive behavioral therapy, or they might need um, a vestibular training or habituation training. So I thought what I do now is kind of to finish off our clinical discussion is, is share a, a couple stories of some patients we worked with 3PT and some of the things that were helpful for them. And then uh, I thought I'd share a story about a patient that I had that had a, a similar uh, presentation to 3PD, but it fell more into the category of phobic vertigo. But I think she's a good case to kind of highlight how focusing on symptoms and the fear of symptoms can really start to impact a patient's function and disability. So we're working with a patient right now that has um, a chronic form of, uh, of dizziness. Um, she falls into that diagnostic criteria of 3PD, but she also has a history of cerebellar, um, cerebellar stroke. So in terms of her presentation, that first dizzying trigger was that cerebellar stroke. And then um, after that trigger, she had that acute adaptation and then maladaptation um, to her acute stroke. And then she's developed a chronic form of dizziness and um, hyper-awareness on her symptoms. So when she comes to therapy, she has, let's say, uh, baseline level symptoms of five out of 10. Now that five out of 10 can wax and wane above and below, um, but she's hyper aware of those symptoms and they cause significant um, distress and functional disability for her. So our therapy for her is really focused on helping her to utilize proper postural controls and strategies, um, to not rely heavily on solely her vision, to address the vestibular impairments that are present from her acute, um, from her um, previous cerebellar stroke, and then to help kind of focus on graded movement exposure so that when she does a quick turn or when she walks with changes in gait speed, that doesn't spike up her sensation of dizziness. And so after working with her, she had a recent acute exacerbation where she was leveled out at eight out of 10 dizziness for, for a couple of weeks. 
she's now starting to come back down and she's going down from a six out of 10 dizziness to a five out of 10 dizziness and then to a four out of 10 dizziness. And we're really working on helping her become confident with her functional movements, giving her graded exercises and exposure to movement so that she's not constantly spiking up her symptoms and avoiding movement, but building confidence to move without inducing significant amounts of dizziness. Um, so she's a pretty good example of how you would manage a patient with 3PD. And then we have uh, regular discussions about her symptoms, regular discussions on how she's relating to her symptoms and incorporating some cognitive behavioral therapy interventions with her. And she does have a psychologist as well. So we have that in play. In terms of a patient with phobic vertigo, this is kind of an interesting case. So this patient presented to PT with an acute um, uh, with uh, significant imbalance um, and, uh, and, and significant balance and functional disability. The patient um, walked into the clinic holding onto her husband's arm. And then after kind of in interviewing the patient, we found out that her imbalance and dizziness developed after being on a train platform where she was standing at the edge of the platform and the train came by quickly. She felt like she was going to fall into the train and then she fell backwards. And then since that point, she had a significant fear of falling. Um, she needed um, uh, physical support to walk in open environments. But what was really unique to her case was that she said that when she was at home, she actually felt really comfortable walking and that she rarely used a cane or a walker or her husband's arm. So after investigating a little bit more, we found out that she had um, a significant fear of falling and she developed a phobic, um, phobic vertigo or phobic dizziness. And our interventions for her really wound up being really focused on building her confidence, reducing her fear and showing her that she was able to maintain her balance without falling. Um, so it's taking fear of falling to a whole nother level. And we talked a lot about her symptoms, why she thought she was going to fall, what that meant to her if she fell. Um, and it was really interesting after working with her, we eventually con convinced her to walk outside with us. We convinced her to walk outside without a cane, without holding onto an arm. And it was really just that gradual progression, holding her hand, helping her build her confidence that was able to help her build her confidence enough that she was able to really start overcoming her fear of, of falling and her fear of vertigo. So um, at the end of therapy, she got to the point where she was actually able to drive herself independently um, to the grocery store, uh, park in front of the grocery store, walk into the grocery store and shop and then come back. She still had a little hesitation and anxiety around that, but she was at the place where she could function independently um, without her husband. And that was for her a big success. So I, I hope this discussion related to 3PD is helpful. Hopefully now understanding kind of the, the background related to 3PD, some of the, um, some of the clinical um, criteria that's required for 3PD, and then thinking about how you would manage these patients is a, is a helpful uh, clinical discussion for you. If you have any significant questions related to 3PD, um, if you would like us to discuss 3PD in more detail, talking a little bit more about treatments, talking a little bit more about case stu studies, feel free to drop us a comment below. If you want us to talk about any other vestibular disorder um, that you're curious about, whether it's vestibular migraines, positional vertigo, feel free to comment. Um, these clinical discussions, we, we like to tailor to the discussions that are going on in the group. 
So um, if you can drop us a line or drop us a comment on what you would like us to discuss, we're more than happy to discuss that. So I really appreciate everyone jumping on for the, the clinical discussion. And I look forward to um, dropping back into our regular pattern uh, next week. So I uh, hope everyone has a good holiday and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Dizzy Discussion Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and learned something today. Be sure to continue the conversation on our Facebook groups, Evidence CEU Vestibular Study Group, or the patient-centered support group called Dizzy Discussions Vestibular Support Group. Also, be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to sharing our next episode.